0: Listening to the sounds of firefighters responding to a fire. Just a portent of what could happen in episode five of Six Feet Under. But more immediate is former coach Lark Larson kidnapped. Someone wants answers about what happened 25 years ago. Primary suspect in the kidnapping Club Max's BB, her brother Derek Gataki. The question is, and it's an important question, who is paying or putting up Gataki to his dastardly deeds. Remember, Locke was in the middle of the big blowout from 25 years ago. And at the center of the action in this episode is a major confrontation involving Jones and Coco and more side road theories. Now, I'm Robert P. Fitton, getting ready to jumpstart this episode 5 of Six Feet Under, a Matthias Jones series at Fitton on the Air. Six Feet Under, Chapter 15. Jones, Coco, Rita, and Uncle Dulio sat in front of crumpled bills and assorted change. Jones checked the old electric clock above the large white ceramic sink. They'd been playing poker for four hours, and Rita had won a substantial amount of money. "'Why don't you quit, Ma? You're wiping us out. I'm staying in trouble with you boys. You hate to lose.' If I didn't know better, I'd say you had some scam going here. Yeah, right. Jonesy hit a camera in the light, she said, laughing. Give me three cards. Jonesy, you better call Strickland about Larson, said Coco. Coco, it's one o'clock in the morning, said Jones. Hey, I heard about the Iron Man, said Dulio, gnawing on a submarine sandwich. The Iron Man is a piece of work. He started it, said Jones. The Iron Man, he fought bare-knuckled in Ireland, said Dulio, pointing at his temple. Did something to his head, Jones pointed at Dulio. The guy fights at the drop of a hat. The knock at the front door. Coco drew his shiny gun. Dulio set down his cards as Coco sidestepped to the window. Yeah, it's Winky. Dulio sat down as Coco went to the door. Hey, Coco. He said in his raspy monotone. He had scattered blonde hair and heavy eyelids. His red flannel shirt was untucked. Hey,
1: what's shaking? What's shaking? Winky, what the hell? How about calling me first? Didn't want to wink you up. What the hell do you want? That old coach from Hamilton. Jones stood and rushed over. Lock Larson? Yeah. Bosco told Lambie there's nobody in that house in Hamilton that blew up.
0: "'Yeah, well, that's good information, Winky,' said Coco. He reached in his pocket and slid a hundred-dollar bill into Winky's hand. Larson may be on the run, or maybe somebody grabbed him. Two hundred for more info!' "'You got it, Rabbi,' said Winky as he spun around and quietly exited through the front door. "'Rabbi? He always says that, Jonesy. "'At least you can hit the hay now that you know that Larson didn't burn up.' Coco looked over to the table. Dulio, where's my mother? Bed. Oh, sure. After she takes all my spending money. Jonesy, I want you downstairs in the bunker away from Kataki and whoever he's working for. No argument here. Bibi were around, I'd give her a call, Jonesy, said Coco with a coy grin.
1: I heard that,
0: said Rita from one of the back bedrooms. Ha, she's got dog hearing, complained Coco as Dulio laughed from the refrigerator. <laughs> Don't eat the rest of those cannoli, Dulio. Dulio shut the refrigerator door. They went yesterday. You think you get problems, Jonesy? Jones brought the toast and jam over to the counter in Coco's below-ground sweet. He set it next to the cornflakes. Arlo Wombat's voice echoed around the kitchenette as he retrieved the orange juice glass from the counter. Dr. Edinger, what happened to that massive storm you predicted yesterday for Prince William and vicinity? My forecast yesterday produced an offshore updraft and local squalls were absorbed in the lower levels of condensation. Dare I ask what today's prediction will be? The connection wavered. Hello, hello Arlo. I seem to have some transatlantic irregularities in the upper stratosphere.
1: Well, that about
0: sums it up, said Arlo as Jones smiled. Let's take another call, this one from Newtown. Jenny in Newtown, you're on the air with Arlo Wombat.
1: What kind of a show are you running, Wombat? What did
0: little old Arlo do to upset you this morning?
1: No, not you, Arlo. I love you. Ah, the secret is out. It's that lazy man Piccata. WOFI News says what a great job he's doing. Ha! Half the time he's over at the golf course in Hamilton with his cronies and lawyers. Then it's time for lunch over at Nuncio's. And maybe by then he'll pop into the office. I say, recall man Piccata now.
0: But how do you really feel, Jenny? This is Arlo Wombat,
1: traveling around
0: toward Saint Bartholomew's Catholic Church. A little toot toot to Father Jim Gallagher of Saint Bart's. Father Jim loves the toot toot, but not during mass. Now we are lost in P.W. You're on the air, sir. I'm doomed, doomed. Lark asked Jones, holding the orange juice glass. What is your name, sir? Asked Arlo. He'll slit my throat. Well, this isn't even Halloween. After a long pause, Arlo's voice assumed a more serious tone. Sir, are you serious? He'll kill me. He's tied me to the toilet. Sir, where are you? In the bathroom. No, the address. And who has you hostage? The ugly man. The ugly man. And I don't even know the address because I'm doomed. Doomed. He blindfolded me last night and brought me here. Lark, is that you? No comment, it's not me. Jones' phone buzz. Jonesy, are you listening to Wombat? I hear it, and hopefully Lark stays on the line so they can trace his call. Not the first time, said Jones. Listen, I'm uptown. I'll be at my mother's house in ten minutes. Keep the radio on, there's a portable in the kitchen drawer. Coco hung up as Arlo kept questioning Lark. Sir, what is your name? If I give my name, he'll kill me, Arlo. Oh, brother, said Jones, putting on his slacks. Come on, Lark, smarten up. What do you see around you? Oh, the birdies in the trees, said Lark, as a series of wind chimes produced a melodic interlude. Pretty music, you have to help me are you in prince william jones flipped on the small portable radio and picked up the broadcast as he entered the closet and climbed the hidden stairs upward toward rita's house i could be in timbuktu i have chief Don pacheco on this call chief are you there Leah Salo, is this coach larson no comment are you in an old house or a new house up two flights of stairs my people tell me you're on a landline phone. Where are you? Said Dom as Jones moved into Rita's kitchen. Are you listening to that dimwit? asked Rita. I am. Landline, yes, I'm not out at sea. Said Lark as he sneezed. <laughs> that god-awful Chinese food is destroying my allergies. Oh no, he's coming. I'm doomed. Doomed! He's in the Mandarin Village," said Rita. Big Chinese area. Dom left the call. The horn blasted outside. Rita pushed Jones toward the front door. Coco's beamer was diagonal to the sidewalk, and Jones hurried down the walk. Mandarin Village, Jonesy. That's what your mother said. Kitaki must think Lawson knows something, or he would have killed him," said Coco as he screeched the tires. Or maybe Lark forgot. Larson remembers what he wants to remember, and guess what? Gitaki ain't stupid. He's got Larson out of there by now, unless Pacheco has cops near the Mandarin. Jones stood beyond the police barrier with Father Gallagher along the blue and white police cars. A crowd ahead formed a semicircle at the entrance road that extended up the hill to a ten-story linear building with iron-railed side balconies. Rows of trees with colorful foliage extended up the hill beyond the building. My housekeeper came running over to St. Bart's after morning mass and said Coach Larson was being held hostage. It's Beebe's brother, Jim. Club backs Beebe? Jones nodded. So, this is all about Larson knowing something about that night 25 years ago. I'm not sure, said Jones as he looked up the drive. I just hope Lark is all right. Derek Gataki is a disturbed individual who's working for the man in the Toyota. Very good, Jim. That is exactly right. I haven't got a clue who Betty Ann Lover was seeing behind Mobley's back. Nor do I know where his body is. Did I hear Hamilton Fletcher is in Jamaica? I'm sure that's just a cover story and he wants to stay as far away from what happened at Mobley. Jones's cell rang. Matthias Jones.
1: Coach, this is Sylvia Bronchak.
0: Hello, Sylvia. How are you doing? I have those listings from 25 years ago in the town. How old were you back then? Probably five years old. I was here in Hamilton, but I will not give my age. (laughs) I have lists from the surrounding years. I really appreciate it. I'm in Prince William now, and I'll be over later. What happened to Coach Larson? I heard it on the radio. We'll know soon. Thank you so much, Sylvia. Anytime, Coach. Female admirer? She's in her 70s, Jim. I'm heading over to First Parish to Pastor Sykes to plan for the ecumenical service. You need a ride? I'll be here a little longer, Jim. I'll catch up with you in Hamilton. Let me know about Lark. I will. I'm hoping Gataki will take off once he realizes Lark knows nothing. I'll see you later, Matthias. Okay, Jim. As Gallagher headed toward his car, Kevin Phillips walked down the drive ahead of Don Pacheco. Jones winced as the pudgy Kip Bosco in a tan blazer with a loosened tie ate candy bars from each hand behind Don Pacheco. The light-haired Phillips shook his head. They left apartment 697 within the last half hour. We're getting Prince Matthias, but it has to be Gataki. Lark is still alive, correct? As far as we know, said Phillips, but there's blood all over the bathroom. Jones clenched his fist. I'll kill that Gataki if he's hurt Lark. Locke knew where he was at the beginning of that conversation with Arlo. We might have gotten here before Gitaki got back. Call me if you hear anything, Kevin. As Phillips headed back to his car, Don Pacheco paused to talk to a reporter. Arlo Wombat's bright green van pulled up behind the police vehicles. Jones studied the orange W.O.F.I. call letters across the green painted metal. Arlo, wearing a blue beach cap, rolled out of the driver's seat and left the door open. He was only about five foot six inches and his brown hair grayed at the sideburns. His lightweight red nylon windbreaker ruffled in the wind. Jones, he said, shaking Jones's hand. Any word on Lark? Kitaki escaped with Lark and there was blood all over the bathroom floor. Oh, Lark and I were such good friends years ago. Jones looked into his green eyes. What happened, Arlo? Arlo's eyes tightened. Ah, it's a personal matter. Around the time Mobley disappeared, said Jones. Did you know Betty Ann Lovell? I knew of her. I talked to her at Lark's pep rallies and spaghetti dinners. What was she doing there, asked Jones. Mobley. She was his girlfriend, but, but what? Lark accused me of going after his assistant's girlfriend, Betty Ann. Did you? Hell no. He said I picked her up in my common gear. Jones furrowed his brow. Common gear? Arlo placed his hands on his hips. That was all 25 years ago, coach. Somebody in a brown Toyota was circling the common that night, and we've confirmed that Betty Ann Lovell was murdered that night. I always thought she left town. She never left town, Arlo. There must have been dozens and dozens of brown Toyotas in the greater Prince William area. But why did Lark think you were picking up Betty Ann at the pep rally dinner? He said Betty Ann was cheating on Mobley. How he knew that, I don't know. So he thought it was you. He saw the Carmen gear and assumed it was me. Who knows why? He said I left the dinner like a bat out of hell. My car always needed a tune-up. I was just a guy who hung out at the local radio station and broadcast Hamilton games. No money, no nothing. Lark said he had seen my Carmen gear parked behind the old gym. He said I had a Mickey Mouse car. I said Mickey Mouse isn't real and laughed. He said I was making fun of his idol, Mickey Mouse. What the hell? And he held that against you, Arlo? Right, and the Betty Ann thing. Talk about carrying an idiotic grudge. A grudge against something that didn't exist. He never talked to me again until this morning on the radio. Kip Bosco, thick chocolate candy bars and silver wrappers in both hands, sashayed down the asphalt incline to Jones and Arlo. I hate that man, said Arlo. He hangs out with all the lowlife when he's supposed to be investigating him. Hey, Larson is all done, Coachy, he said, licking the chocolate off his fingers. Shut up, Kip. Hey, Wombat, you got the ball rolling on Larson. He called the phone line, Kip the Lip. Funny boy. Kip spoke as he chomped on the chocolate. Hey, looks like the old goat has met his Waterloo. What's the matter, Kip? said Arlo. Run out of big mama donuts? I already hit the donut shop, buddy, so there. Yeah, and the convenience store. Huh, right. Larson always had a big mouth, said Kip. Jones moved right up to Kip. thought I told you to shut up, Kip. Heard you were speeding in the Devonshires. Really? Been talking to Corky, eh, Kip? Corky's a legend. Yeah, so was Al Capone. Capone was framed, you idiot. Now that you're a fighter, you're getting tough. I may just have to beat you up. Be my guest, said Jones, spreading out his arms and bowing. Plus, you're in big trouble too, Koji, said Kip, chomping the chocolate. The historic commission in Hamilton will sue your ass. Arlo made a sickening face. They'll take your house, and you'll be out on the streets. K-Sierra-Sierra. Kip turned and started toward the street. Arlo looked skyward with his arms crossed, and he extended his left leg, tripping Kip. Kip somersaulted over, and the chocolate bars smeared across his face. ''What the hell?'' he asked as he sat up. He wiped the chocolate off his face and licked his fingers again. ''I know you did that, Jones.'' ''I did it, Kip the Lip,'' said Arlo as Jones smiled. ''Your mouth is almost as big as your belly.'' ''I'll get you fired, Wombat,'' said Kip, still licking. ''Sure, you do that, Kip,'' said Arlo, facing Jones. ''Look, Jones, Matthias.'' Matthias, I'll think more about who might have been hustling Betty in. Thanks, Arlo, and thanks for keeping Lark on the line. I just wish Lark hadn't been so stubborn. I don't know if he's more stubborn or cheap. Jones sat in the beamer with a manila folder of old tax excise records on his lap. Coco shifted back toward Shore Road, diagonally ahead in front of Jones's house, was the candy-red Mustang Cobra. Arnie Dewis and Bucky Driscoll circled around the car as Coco skidded to a stop. Hey, moron! yelled Coco. Both men turned. That Stang is worth over a hundred grand. I don't want you clowns within ten miles of this car. Ah, ten miles is a long way, said Bucky. Why don't you go get your motor scooter from Mommy, Roden? My Mommy's in New York. Maybe you should go back home. She can come visit you in the zoo. Huh? Hey, I hear Lawson croaked. He's not dead there, fungo. Stop your rumors. Hey, what's in the Manila folders? Just mind your own business, said Jones. Beat it, doers, said Coco, raising his voice. Hey, 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 said Arnie as he scrambled back. Why don't you go over to Ralphie's? They're crushing Driscoll's shitbox today. "'Not fair. I'm innocent,' said Bucky. "'Cut the innocent routine, Roden. Nobody believes that story from Dewa's sister.' "'I have an alibi. You need an alibi for your life,' sewer breath. "'Zani and Bucky straggled back toward the common. Jones smiled. "'A Shelby Cobra. I still can't believe it.' "'Well, don't get too comfortable, Jonesy. Shelby GT500. The old man has another Jeep on order.' This car came from Mr. Fiori in Boston and was approved by the old man. Just keep it under a hundred. I should question Evelyn. You believe that story, do you, Jonesy? No, but Bucky could be telling the truth about his late great security car. I don't trust nothing, the rodent says, said Coco. Kitaki will take his orders. "'I'm heading over to the Colonial House to look over these records. i got a meeting at the club with Bruno. "'If you hear anything from Strickland about Larson, call me. "'And get that gun I gave you. "'When you shoot that gun, there ain't no more questions.' "'Jones nodded and headed through his picket fence gate toward his front door. "'He had planned to take a shower, but he compulsively had to open the manila folder. "'The backyard dirt had been leveled and the pavers were hauled away.' Jones poured himself a glass of cranberry juice and flipped open the folder. A long list of computer font bills on a spreadsheet unfolded on the table. These were individual bills from 25 years ago. He placed a ruler on the main sheet and slowly moved downward. Several Toyotas of varying colors appeared. A brown Toyota, Miriam Kendall, apartment 16, 3496 Route 32, Hamilton, New Hampshire. Miriam? exclaimed Jones. He quickly connected to Strickland on his cell. Matthias. Any word on Wendell? Long damage from the smoke. He's awake but not responsive. Jones refrained from any snide remarks, but Strickland spoke first. He'll be okay, according to Dr. Bradgate. And Flo is at her sister's house and is okay. Good. George, I have tax records from 25 years ago. Was Miriam Kendall Miriam Kendall Lincoln? Yes. She owned a brown Toyota. Where did she meet Lincoln? I'm not a dating service, Matthias. I have no idea. Who would know that? Pudgy or maybe Cora Jefferson or Miriam herself, said Strickland. But I'll cut to the chase. If Attorney Lincoln is the driver of that car outside of Mobley's house and the possible killer of Mobley, we'll have to proceed very carefully. What about Herbert Lane? Look, I'll have to tell him only if you have something more definitive. I'm going to talk to Cora in a very oblique way. If Miriam and Lincoln were going together, then we have a big problem. I'll run a background check, find out when they were married. Then I'll meet you at the Colonial House. I'm getting close, George. Six Feet Under, Chapter 14 Jones and McGill repeated this story at the Colonial House. Franny leaned toward their steaming plates. "'Don't forget Big Red,' said Franny. "'You know, I bet he kept that car for another ten years,' said Jones. "'Is that when they had fins in the back of the car?' asked McGill, lifting a cup of coffee. "'Lark never buys a new car,' said Franny. "'I remember that car. I was riding my bike near the middle school.' "'Let me guess,' said McGill. "'He almost plowed you over.' "'Yep!' I skinned my knees. My mother went after Locke personally. What did he say? He said he was out of town. Jones's laughter melded into words. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, some things never change. Here comes trouble, said Franny. Jones looked over her shoulder as Bucky Driscoll, in faded baggy jeans and a gray sweatshirt conforming to the shape of his belly, started toward Jones. Just when you think you've reached the end of your rope, said Jones. Bucky clasped his hands together. I need to talk to you, coach. I'm kind of uh, busy, Bucky. Ah, it's real important. Okay, what is it? Bucky's eyes darted left and then right. The Iron Man. What about him? He's in training. I saw him running, doing road work. He says he's going to beat you to a pulp. I'm sure that's just a figure of speech, said Jones. Bucky squinted as he studied Jones's gashes. He doesn't believe you fought Kid Palooka. Jones could feel the blood rush to his head. I don't care what he believes, Bucky. Don't get him mad. Let him get mad, said Jones, getting angry himself. You don't want the Iron Man to get mad because he turns into an animal. Before Jones could answer, the rumble from a low-pitched explosion shook the Colonial House, rattling plates and utensils. Then the power went out. Jones immediately thought about Lark's house.
1: Oh, we're all going to die,
0: said Bucky as he climbed onto Jones's lap. Get off my lap, Bucky, shouted Jones as the power came back on. Jones lifted Bucky to his feet. Everyone, stay put. McGill and Franny trailed Jones out the front door. The orange reflection from dancing flames covered the sidewalk. As Jones ran forward past Franny's home, flames twisted skyward. Lark's house was gone, consumed into a huge fireball that threatened Flo's adjacent structure. He did it! He did it! Ketaki actually blew up Lark's house! shouted McGill from behind. Strickland's cruiser zipped along the common as the fire whistle blared. Less than a minute later, fire engines flew out of the station down Main Street. McGill took pictures with his phone. We better hope that Lark is still at that bowling alley, said Jones as he edged toward the fire. Wendell ran across Main Street from the common he sprinted he sprinted along the building next to franny's house black smoke billowed out of flo's front door and the flames were like little fingers above the windows flo screamed from somewhere inside the house as jones felt the heat
1: wendell lifted his
0: coat like a shield and stormed into the burning building "'Wendell, wait for the firemen!' yelled Jones. Strickland's deputy disappeared into the dark smoke. "'He should have waited,' said McGill, raising his arm as the heat caused both men to move back. Strickland's cruiser slid to a diagonal stop on Main Street. He left his door open and ran forward. "'I told Wendell to watch this place!' "'But George,' began Jones, "'where is that lame brain?' McGill stepped forward. George, that lame brain, just risked his life and ran into Flo's house. Strickland gazed into the flames and pressed his lips. Wendell, are you all right? Wendell. Fire trucks were positioned quickly. Several firefighters began drenching what was left of Lark's home. Lanky Dick Folsom rushed up to Strickland amidst the sound of shortwave radios what happened george he asked as the water jet streamed into the night wendell is inside max he said calling his lieutenant wendell harris is inside this building Chief, it's fully engulfed try to get somebody in there wendell choking on smoke burst onto the front porch dragging flow below the smoke and then he uh, fell right forward himself. Fire Several firefighters floor, moved around Wendell as others slid flow away from the fire. They placed oxygen masks over their faces. Strickland furrowed his brow and his face tightened over Wendell as the Hamilton ambulance backed toward the sidewalk. Jones stepped back and was about to call Coco, but Coco's icon filled the screen.
1: Jonesy, what the hell happened over there?
0: Several paramedics attended to Wendell as Strickland looked on Someone tried to kill Lark, propane explosion. thought you told me that Larson was bowling? He wasn't home, but both houses are destroyed. No great loss to humanity there. Then his voice trailed away from the phone.
1: Julio, you need to get over to the Tin... Julio, you need to get over to the Tin Pan Alley. You pulled Larson off the lane. What? I don't care what he says. Bring him over to Gallagher's rectory. Yeah, I'll fill Father in. He He
0: said, speaking back into the phone. Jonesy. I heard. Listen, that fire has to be Gataki. Let that be a lesson to you, Jonesy. Drop out of sight, you can be next. I know. Get your ass over to my mother's house on East Crescent Street now. Now, Jonesy, or I'll come after you myself. The pewter-haired Rita Stefani pushed another red-flowery ceramic bowl of pasta and meatballs in front of Jones. The steam swirled upward toward the chandelier. You eat like my Anthony used to eat, said Rita, adding some other dish with potatoes and sausage. Jones knew Anthony had mysteriously disappeared years ago. Dig in, Jonesy. How is it? Mrs. Stefani, I keep telling you, it's Rita. Rita, it's delicious, thank you. His phone rang. Take it, Jonesy. Jones. Matthias, it's George. Flo is all right. Wendell saved her life. What about Wendell? He's in intensive care. He took in a lot of smoke. And you are at Coco Stefani's mother's house? Right. Jones figured Julio had driven Lark over to the rectory by now. What about the fire? They're still dousing it. Just the two houses were affected. The person that ordered that fire is the person that drove the Toyota, said Jones. I'm waiting to hear from Don Pacheco about the Toyota. I wish I could connect the dots on the Toyota. I'll call Sylvia Bronchuk at Town Hall in the morning and see if I can locate the Toyota from tax records. I hope Wendell is all right. I do too. Jones hung up as somebody turned the front doorknob. Almost instantly, Rita Stefani cradled a shotgun in her lap and aimed it toward the foyer. Coco passed through the door and rounded the corner.
1: Ma, what the hell are you doing?
0: Can't be too careful. I guess not. Are you all right, Jonesy? asked Coco, throwing his leather jacket on the chair. Come on, Johnny, what do you think we have closets for? I ain't got time for this, Ma. Jonesy, Larson ain't at the alley... Cops were over there, too. I guess he never showed up for his pee-wee bowling league. How's Harris? Tense of care. Larson should be grateful that Harris saved his girlfriend. Coco looked over at Jones's plate. I can see you haven't lost your appetite, Jonesy. Rita slid another plate of pasta in front of Coco's place at the end of the table. Thanks, Mark. Coffee, Johnny? Nah, I'm okay. Look, Jonesy, they'll track down Gataki. Has BB seen him? No, we moved her. She's on a little vacation in upstate New York. Good idea. Who's he working for, Coco? You know, Jonesy, it could be Finley, said Coco. He walked out of Strickland's cell. Finley is too stupid to plan all this. It all boils down to who Lovell cheated with when she ditched Mobley. Jones shook his head. I think he's buried where the Northridge apartments used to stand. And Froggy knows it. "'What are you, a psychic, Jonesy? "'Come on, you and your side-road theories. "'Obviously, Mobley's body isn't in my backyard.' "'So what?' said Coco. "'Jones stared at him. "'What did I say?' "'Northridge needs to be dug up.' "'You don't even know who owns the land now, Jonesy.' "'Coco turned as Dulio walked inside. "'Lawson told them he'd be bowling tonight,' said Dulio. "'Jonesy, Dulio?' then where the hell is he? His car wasn't around that house, said Jones. Lawson still might have gone up in smoke, Jonesy. No, his car wasn't there, Coco. Locke knows something Mobley's murderer doesn't want to get out. Six Feet Under, Chapter 16 Mrs. Jefferson's laugh it sounded like a powerful gas-powered chainsaw starting in the forest. She usually covered her mouth as the laugh morphed into a whining, electric coffee grinder. (laughs) She jabbed her finger at her bespeckled son across the table.
1: So, they found that screwball, Larson?
0: Asked Mrs. Jefferson. In apartment 35 on the first floor, apparently the nurse that lives there cleaned up his bloody nose. He's okay.
1: (laughs) If you think Larson was just there for medical treatment, you're nuts!
0: Mother, the man was kidnapped. Said Courtney,
1: "Being naive must be in your genes."
0: I thought we were here to talk about Mobley and his girlfriend," said Courtney.
1: <laughs> "What do you know about Mobley, Courtney?"
0: <laughs> asked Mrs. Jefferson.
1: "You were just a damn little twerp when Mobley disappeared." Mother, watch your language. <laughs> <laughs> if I had a dollar for every time you cursed at the store, I'd be taking a trip to Honolulu.
0: Then she turned to Jones as Franny smiled, taking the adjacent order. "'So what about the night Mobley disappeared?' asked Jones. "'Why not ask Dewish, that
1: peeping Tom? "'Let's see if Judge Hennessy allows his X-rated testimony in court.'
0: "'Arnie saw it all,' said Jones.
1: "'That jerk hasn't told the truth a day in his life.'
0: "'She knocked Courtney's elbow off the table. "'Your father always plopped his elbows on the table.' "'Mother, really?' "'I heard about
1: the Iron Man,'
0: said Mrs. Jefferson.'
1: When he washed up on the shore from the Blarney Stone, he asked me out. And, ah, the man had dirty
0: fingernails and beer breath and a gutter mouth. I kicked him out of the store. Mother literally kicked the Iron Man in the butt. He kept coming back into the store. I didn't see you standing up to him. You took off with your deliveries. The man is a bare-knuckled fighter in Ireland, said Courtney. Didn't stop Matthias, you wimp. "'Discretion is the better part of valor.' Mrs. Jefferson stuck her thumb in her nostril and twiddled her fingers. "'I have to deal with a Historical Commission now "'for what Iron Man and his family did to my patio. "'I never authorized it. "'What do you know about Miriam Lincoln?' "'Miriam Lincoln? "'Quiet as a church mouse,' said Mrs. Jefferson. "'I met her husband, the lawyer. "'You think I had just robbed the Prince William Credit Union?' said Jones." Hey, if you're a Picard's attorney, you're a snake. So the snake married the church mouse. Her gray eyes opened wide as she laughed. The buzzsaw laughed. <laughs> they went together for a long time until he pressured the mouse into marrying him. She almost backed out. They were married at First Parish? Who cares, said Mrs. Jefferson. They were damn lucky they didn't die when that dump went up in smoke north of town. I think doers did it. With all due respect, Cora, Arnie may be a lot of things. But I don't think he's an arsonist. Oh yeah, old Man Dewar's always said Arnie burnt down that old lumber yard when the old man fired him. He found paint thinner cans. Dewar's lumber burnt down? Asked Jones. Yes, sir. Maybe it was an accident. You know the way Arnie throws his cigarette butts around. He's a lunatic, and that dumbbell Driscoll is right behind him," said Mrs. Jefferson. "'Mother, are we going to get ice cream at Sal's? "'He's closing down for the season this week.' "'Oh, God forbid you don't get your nutty vanilla slush,' she looked at Jones. "'See what I have to put up with?' Strickland, still in uniform, moved across the restaurant. "'Sal says he'll put some cartons in the freezer for me,' said Courtney. "'Wish you could be that concerned about my store,' she said as she stood. "'She turned towards Strickland. "'Hello, George.' Cora. Courtney, We're just leaving here because Junior wants his nutty vanilla slush. Mother tends to get melodramatic. Watch it. I'm paying for your ice cream. She put $50 down on the table. Matthias, this one's on me for popping the Iron Man. Thank you. Mrs. Jefferson marched out ahead of Courtney. Courtney! All this for a stupid ice cream cone, said Jones. Strickland grinned as he watched Courtney follow Mrs. Jefferson like a puppy dog. Then he turned to Jones. Lark is still under observation. No comment, said Jones. All because he banged his nose on that toilet seat when he tripped in the bathroom and slid into the toilet, said Strickland. With all that blood, I thought Lark was all done. Me too, but he did identify Gataki from the mugshots. Now he wants to go to a safe house. Well, he'll have to go somewhere with his own house burnt down. What about Miriam Kendall, a.k.a. Miriam Kendall Lincoln? Are you going to question her, George? I'm not sure. Lincoln is a powerful man and well-connected. Come on, George. Something isn't right here. After going together for five years, Cora said for some reason, Miriam and Lincoln almost broke up. Then Cora mentioned the fire. Just like your jeep. You know, that Shelby you're driving is registered to Albert Fiore's people. I know I sound like Father Gallagher, but Matthias, stay away from Fiore. Gallagher's still over at First Parish, said Jones. How do you bring in a high roller like Lincoln with all this circumstantial nonsense? I don't. Point is, I need more, Strickland nodded. We know it was her car, so he was driving it? Impossible to prove, said Jones. "'Maybe I'll let him think I know. "'Unless Lark saw Lincoln in Mobley's house, "'which means Lincoln was hot to trot on Betty Ann,' said Strickland. "'And if Mobley knew Betty Ann had dumped him for Lincoln, "'Mobley may have killed Betty Ann. "'The autopsy specifically alludes to a broken neck. "'My dad would find himself not enough to bring a case forward, "'so he'd lure the guilty party in with something so compelling "'that the party would show his cards.' Or he'd just harass the suspect. Well, that would take some doing with a shyster like Lincoln. Let me put a stick in the mud. What's that? Froggy. Froggy? Froggy is a bumbling fool, Matthias. And how do you put Froggy in Miriam's Toyota? Remember, the Toyota came back later. I know. Jones peered over Strickland's shoulder. as father Gallagher, carrying a small valise, moved quickly into the Colonial House. "'This is like a stage performance,' said Franny as she passed with an order. "'You got that right, Fran,' Jones tracked Gallagher to the table. "'Thias, I have information for you.' "'Sit down, Jim,' said Jones. "'Can I get you something, Father?' asked Franny. "'I know you liked the turkey dinner last time you were here.' "'Turkey it is,' said Gallagher. "'But no more coffee. "'Sykes has been pumping me full of java for four hours.' "'Water?' asked Franny. "'Thanks.' replied Gallagher, unzipping the briefcase. Is this from the church, Father? asked Strickland. I have a copy of the wedding certificate of Miriam and Lincoln. He didn't belong to the church. They were married by Pastor Warren Johnson. I also have confirmation papers on Betty Ann Lovell. But Jim, what does all that prove? Incidental, but connected. Mrs. Crenshaw, with Pastor Sykes's permission, allowed us to go through Johnson's parish papers. We found in his daily planner numerous meetings with Lovell in the weeks before she was murdered. Only no one back then knew she was murdered. Is Johnson still alive? No, he is not, said Gallagher. Maybe Betty Ann was torn between both men. But Lincoln was going to marry Miriam, said Jones. This theory would make him carry on with both women. Franny brought the steaming plate of turkey, mashed potatoes, and vegetables a few minutes later. "'Ah, just what the doctor ordered,' said Gallagher. And, "'And it's a cup of java, Father, just in case you change your mind.' "'On second thought, I will have the coffee.' Franny left, and Gallagher leaned towards Strickland. "'What's the progress in the Lark kidnapping?' "'Lark was found in another apartment,' said Strickland. "'And Kataki's still on the loose.' is a dangerous man, Father.' Jones leaned toward the two men. The question is, gentlemen, what's his next move? Gallagher and Jones stood in the dirt, the former side of Jones's patio. Gallagher held a drink in his hand. So there'll be a service and then a reception in the parish hall. After the stormy relations between the two churches with Reverend Bricker leading the charge, I consider this a major miracle. Well, Bricker had his own issues. For sure said Gallagher as he pinned the backyard under the outside spotlights. Who's going to landscape your backyard? Well, it won't be Bows and his Stooges. Now, now, they're doing the best they can. Well, if that's the best they can do. So you're saying the police dug up the entire yard, six feet down. If there's a body around, it's not here, said Jones. I can't believe that Betty Ann was buried under the patio all this time. At least she'll have a decent burial, according to Sykes. What's weird, Jim, is that this murder and the possible Mobley murder wasn't just a simple murder, as my dad would say. If Betty Ann hadn't been seeing both men, this might not have happened. What about Lincoln? He was doing the same thing. Regardless of the circumstances, murder is murder. Jones' phone rang on the counter, and he ran back inside and picked up his cell. Jones.
1: Jonesy. Where the hell are you?
0: He's talking to Gallagher at my house. Lark is okay. The hell with Larson. You tell Gallagher to get you on one of his rocket rides to Prince William. Gataki according to Winky was seen on Seabridge Street 15 minutes ago. Cops are all over the place. Have Gallagher drop you off at the church. Uncle Dulio and I will be parked next to the dumpster in the lot. Gataki is a killer. Six Feet Under, Chapter 17. Somehow, Uncle Dulio had procured an assortment of coffee and donuts. A plethora of flashing blue and red police car lights cast a persistent tail of fluctuating patterns across old shingled three-deckers on Seabridge Street. Even the water rippled with blue and red fluidity. Jonesy, you having Lincoln driving that Toyota is opening a can of worms that will bring Piccata and his flunkies down on you. "'You don't know that Lincoln was driving that car?' "'Then who was?' asked Jones. "'Maybe it was Goody Two-Shoes, Miriam. "'It was her car. "'And she murdered Mobley,' asked Jones. "'He pointed at Coco. "'Mobley probably killed his girlfriend. "'He's got the total motive, Coco.' Jonesy's right,' said Dulio. "'Who asked you, Dulio?' "'Lincoln was just a kid back then, "'probably not even in law school. "'But it doesn't matter,' said Jones.' He had ambition, and he killed Mobley because of Betty Ann. Where he killed him is the question. And his girlfriend Miriam went along with this? asked Coco. That's why she overreacted about the pavers, said Jones. Then, Jonesy, you need to prove that dude 25 years ago who was in the Northridge was Lincoln. Good friggin' luck. Miriam knows, said Jones, and maybe somebody else will live there. They ain't gonna remember some guy yelling about a fire in that waste pit. fire didn't happen till they all got outside, said Jones. The heavy-eyed Winky appeared from behind one of the cruisers. Winky, said Coco, where the hell is Gataki? Jimmy
1: X-Ray says Gataki's been hit. What do you mean? The cops shot him? Nuggatory. Cops have not fired, nothing. Then who the hell shot him? Where was he shot? He was limping down by the marina. Could have got on a boat. But I think he's at the grill. The deep sea grill? Asked Coco. That place is
0: a cesspool. Coco turned to Dulio. Dulio, see what you can find out down the marina. We're headed for the grill. You better wait for me, said Dulio. Jonesy and me are armed. We'll catch up with you. You too, Winky, said Coco. You got it, Rabbi said Winky as he pivoted down by the boats. Well, "'What if Lincoln shows up at the marina?' asked Jones as Arlo Wombat ran across the street. "'Lincoln?' asked Coco. "'Why would he be down here, Jonesy?' to get rid of Gataki before he talks. "'How can you get by the cops?' asked Coco. "'I grew up down here. Cops don't know half the shortcuts we know.' "'Hey, Jones,' said Arlo as he approached. "'What's going on with Gataki?' He's at the grill, Arlo, said Coco. The deep-sea grill? asked Arlo. Let me come down there with you guys. Coco did a double-take and soured his face. That place is a hellhole. People die down there. You walk down those stairs into the cellar, you might not walk out. I'm going. Sue yourself. Where is it? asked Jones. Sweeney Court, a couple of miles away, off Mansion Street, Jonesy. Said Coco. If Gataki's limping, he ain't going far. Coco positioned his gun along his leather coat as they parked the beamer on Canal Street. Jones gripped the handle of his weapon in the holster. He was extremely nervous about bringing a gun into this situation. He followed Arlo down an alley so dark it took a few minutes for his eyes to adjust. My mother made sure we never came down here. There were fights all over the place back then, said Coco. Them guys are all gone. Very raunchy woman, said Alo. They're gone too. Oh, is that right? Asked Coco, raising his brows as he looked around. The grill was on the corner of one of the alleys. I interviewed a guy who was in the grill, still drinking all night. He mentioned a red light near the stairs. Coco's phone rang. Yeah, Julio. Lane? What the hell is that tub of lard doing down here? Empicada? Damn. What about Lincoln? Okay, you see Lincoln, Dulio, you call my phone. Just hang out near Lane and Picada. See what info you can get. I'll talk to you. Did I hear you say Picada and Lane are here? Asked Jones, looking at his watch. Past midnight? Lane has a big mouth. Dulio will keep an ear to the ground. Jonesy, watch what you say about Lincoln until you have absolute proof. There's the red light said Arlo, pointing to a caged red bulb on a five-foot metal pole at the corner of a yellow-sided building. Call the hazmat team before we go in, Jonesy. He turned to Arlo. You armed, Arlo? No, I have you guys. Coco's face soured. Yeah, right. Listen, let's do this, said Jones. I'll go in there and check for Gataki. Hey, Joe Hero, said Coco, raising his gun. We all go into this pigsty together. Jones followed Coco into the dim light, down the steep stone stairs. He heard no music, nor did he see any light coming out of the building. The brick facade ended at a wide door that had been left open. With no conversation and a single blue bulb behind the bar, five men were hunched on chrome stools in front of the bar. The cold air had an unidentified stench. A little fat guy with a trim mustache followed them around like a security camera. You in charge here, pal? Jones felt his clammy hands on his gun handle. No. We're looking for Derek Gataki, said Coco. I don't know him. I didn't ask that, senor. I don't know nothing. I hope the hell you're right, because if we get hurt, I'll have this place burned and buried with you in it. Got it? I don't want no trouble. (coughs) Someone coughed in a darkened area, and a shadowy man wearing a fedora took a seat at the end of the bar. Then Froggy Finley, in a gray trench coat, staggered out of the blackness on the far side. Coco drew his gun. What, are you kidding me? What the hell are you doing here, Finley? Froggy's eyes glazed over, and he looked drugged. You heard him, Froggy, said Jones. Froggy shook his head and looked as if he would break down at any second. "'Danger, danger!' "'Danger? What danger?' asked Coco, holding his gun with both hands. The mustache man behind the bar and the men on the chrome stool scattered into the side hall. "'What the hell is going on here?' asked Coco. He stepped toward Froggy. "'You're coming with us, Finley.' "'No! No!' he screamed, his eyes open like a madman. Coco kept the gun trained on Froggy. Get your ass up the stairs, moron. Speak English, you fool, shouted Coco. You should have listened to him, said Kataki, limping out from another room. Unshaven, he was dressed in a black leather jacket and pointed a handgun at Coco. Who hired you, Derek? asked Coco. Drop the gun, Stefani. You too, Jones. Both men dropped their weapons on the dirt floor. You too, sport. I don't have a weapon. You're you're a wombat. Hey, man. The old coot called your show. When did you stop working for Lincoln? Ketaki smiled and then squinted in the blue light. I heard about you, Jones. You think you're so smart. You've reached the end of the line, smart boy. As Froggy darted for the stairs, Arlo grabbed one of the metal steins and hurled it at the blue light. The bulb smashed apart, and Jones dove toward the side room. Gotaki unloaded his weapon, producing a strobe-like orange firestorm lighting up the walls. The loud discharge shook the room, and then the room went dark. When another blue light went on behind the bar, Gitaki lay with his arms outstretched and his throat slit. Coco squatted down. Dead. He said, staring at the motionless Kitaki. Jonesy, are you all right? Yeah, I'm okay. Alo, right here. Coco looked up. The claw, where is he? You don't see the claw, Jonesy. Coco stood. Finley, Finley took the guns. Let's get the hell out of here. They ran up the high-angled stone stairs. Why was Froggy here? Jones called from behind as they reached the alleyway. You saw him, Jonesy. He was working with Gitaki, and they drugged him up. Kevin Phillips stood with Arlo Jones and Coco by the marina guardrail. Coco lit another cigarette, kept tapping his left foot. Phillips flipped over his notebook. And then you say your uncle went home? Yeah. Uh, Seem nervous, Coco, said Phillips. Coco looked down at the marina as he spoke. Cops always make me nervous. Nothing to be nervous about this time. Who slit Gataki's throat? The lights were out, Phillips, said Coco. Gataki sprayed the room with bullets. You can see it. Kevin, those guys in the bar left when Gataki came in. Into one of the back rooms. What happened after the blue light went out, I don't know, because I couldn't see it. Description of the men in the bar. Some Hispanic guy and a guy in a fedora. "'Well, we're looking for him. Before we wrap this up, why was Froggy Finley in the Deep Sea Grill?' "'That is the question of the hour,' said Jones. "'Taki never went after Finley,' said Coco. "'Philip shook his head. Well, we'll find Finley.' "'Don't count on it,' said Arlo. Phillips nodded. Just for your own edification, Officer Crimmins and his men found no one inside the Deep Sea Grill.' Those men at the bar got outside, and the place is a crime scene. Yeah, they ran like rats, said Coco, putting out the cigarette on the pavement. They've all left town by now. And you didn't know them, asked Phillips. They're slimed, said Coco, lighting another cigarette. Never saw him before in my life. We were looking for Gataki. Herbert Lane, in a green baseball cap with his name on it, shuffled over from the marina. He wore his gray suit and vest and carried a manila folder. Ah, the gang's all here. I want to talk to you personally, Stefani. I don't have to answer your questions without my lawyer, Lane. Lane waddled over near Jones and continued with Coco. I can bring you in. Yeah? Just try it. You knew to go right to the deep sea grill. Is that your hangout? Perfect, said Phillips. "'I say, Finley killed Gataki,' said Herbert Lane. "'You're dreaming. He went up the stairs. Can we go now?' asked Coco. "'Yeah, we're all done. Finley ain't gonna tell you nothing. He looked drugged.' "'Why, what do you know, Stefani?' asked Herbert Lane in a louder voice. "'Nothing. What about you, Jones? What did you see? "'A lot of firepower. lit up the room.' "'You should have been there, Lane,' said Coco.' I'm running for re-election." 2014, 2014. Yeah? Well, don't blow it," said Coco. We'll see next month when I'm elected for a tenth term. Hey, Lane, keep your fingers out of the ballot box," said Coco, snickering as he turned to Jones, and they walked toward the Beamer. What a piece of work. Yeah, who says cheaters never prosper? What was that, Stefani?" asked Lane from behind. Have a nice night, Mr. District Attorney. Coco held his drink behind the counter of his underground suite. Jones propped his feet on the recliner and rubbed his eyes. If the claw didn't show up, we'd all be dead, said Jones. He just didn't show up, Jonesy. The claw stays in the shadows. Does he work for Mr. Fury? The claw works for himself, bro. Coco sat up in the recliner. This is what I don't get, Jonesy. Finley is in the middle of this crap from 25 years ago. How do we know he didn't put that propane inside Larson's house? That would be over the top, even for Froggy. Maybe Gataki told him to get your car and blow up Larson's house. Or Lincoln. Jones pushed down on the recliner and stood. Both of those fires are irrelevant. What are you talking about, Jonesy? Lincoln was fooling around with Lovell 25 years ago while being engaged to Miriam Kindle when she lived at Northridge. "'But you can't prove that, unless I talk to Miriam. "'She hates you, Jonesy. "'Miriam owned the Toyota. "'It had to have been Lincoln driving that car,' said Jones. "'No one ever saw blood or a sign of a struggle "'or Mobley being murdered at my house. "'I say he was driven up 32, killed near that apartment complex, "'and Lincoln buried the body under the apartments. "'Jonesy, you got no proof. "'Sometimes you don't need proof to solve a murder.' "'That's ragtime, Hardshot,' Coco set down the drink. "'Look, Jonesy, I'm going to sleep.' Jones walked to the counter. "'Wait, come on, I'm beat,' said Coco, leaving his drink on the counter. Once Lincoln burned down Northridge, the murder was covered up forever. They just backfilled everything into the cellar hole foundation, and Froggy is somehow involved in this. And both men were there at the grill.' "'Well, you stay up all night with your side road theories. I'm out of here,' said Coco as he walked into his bedroom and slammed the door shut. "'The field needs to be dug up. Then somebody will talk.' There was a long silence in the bedroom. Then he heard Coco's voice behind the door. "'Don't count on it!' Six Feet Under, Chapter 18 Jones spoke with his backfield at the chalkboard in his office, The fluorescent lights blazed overhead at mid-afternoon on Columbus Day. I tell you boys, Chuck Tanner is one of the best guards I've ever coached. With a guy like that pulling out and blocking the end instantly, why are you waiting in the backfield? You're getting the ball and you're posing for pictures. Just go through the hole, I open up for you. As the group left, Franny knocked on the doorframe. Lazy is as lazy does. Oh, hi, Franny. You're exactly right. McGill just left the Colonial House. He says he'll meet you up at Northridge Lane in 15 minutes. What do you think of my theory, Franny? Asked Jones as he flipped the light switch and they stepped into the corridor. I'm not sure. You don't have witnesses. You sound like Coco, said Jones as he locked the door. I think Lark or even Froggy knows who is driving that car. I don't know, said Jones as he guided her out the gym doors. And who will dig up that field where the apartment building was? Jones made a face and shrugged his shoulders. I don't even know who owns the land right now. Thanks for coming along, Fran. Are you kidding? I want to ride in that Mustang. Jones brought her across the parking lot and pushed the unlock. Then he opened the door and Franny slipped down into the bucket seat. Jones rounded the door and quickly squeezed inside. The powerful engine echoed off the gym's outside walls. And away we go. No countdown? She laughed as Jones looped around the lot. He sped up quickly, taking corners as if he were on a race course. As Jones soared onto Route 32, he shifted quickly. What driving, coach? You could be the next Bucky Driscoll. He still says he didn't drive Uzi off the road. Right, and I'm Barney Oldfield. Who's Barney Oldfield? Early race car driver at Indy. My dad always got tickets to Indy every year. I haven't gone since his death. You need to pick up that tradition again, Matthias, she said, pointing her index fingers at him. You're right, Franny. Jones held the stick shift and downshifted as Woozy's fence came into view. Woozy is coming home next week. Maybe Bucky will drive him home. What? Sorry, she said, laughing. Jones grinned as he swung onto the shoulder near Woozy's fence. Franny, I've looked at this a dozen times. Soon they stood facing south down Route 32 with the fence to the left and Woozy's farmhouse a few hundred yards down the dirt Drive. Matthias, let's, let's say for the sake of argument that Bucky was not driving his security car. Well, I need to talk to Arnie's sister. If she doesn't pop you, she has a vicious right hook. Franny tapped her fists on Jones's shoulder. I believe it, but she may have been preoccupied. I don't even want to go there. Franny pointed at Jones as she spoke. I think Bucky would have folded under pressure if he really was driving that car. Right, but who would steal the car, and why? And then return it? Jones took out his phone. You calling Bucky? Arnie. Franny rolled her eyes. Jones raised the phone to his ear and let it ring. Arnie's aggravating voice buzzed in the earpiece. Yeah, Bucky, just top it off, baby. Arnie cigarette out onto the street. Ah, you worry too much. Arnie, will you take this damn call? Jones rolled his eyes to Franny as he waited. Oblivious. That's Arnie. Hey, who's there? Matthias. How'd you get on my line? I called your phone, Arnie. Maybe Georgie Strickland is tapping my line. No, Arnie. I need to know what happened with Bucky's car. Did your sister see anything? Hey, the Buckster and Evelyn are uh, (laughs) friends. Look, if Bucky didn't drive that car, who did? Let me call my sister, but you owe me. Right, said Jones, cutting the call. He looked at the giggling Franny at the end of the grass in the fence near the maple trees. What did he say? He says he's going to call Evelyn. At least I don't have to talk to her. She's brutal, said Jones. Woozy hit the fence down the other end. Jones turned to the highway as a car whooshed by. You'd think there'd be skid marks on the road. I still say Bucky would have caved under pressure, said Franny as Jones's phone rang. Hey, Arnie. No, it's Evelyn Dewars. She had a gruff female New England accent remarkably like Arnie's grating voice. What the hell do you care about my sex life, Jones? I don't. You're one of those Mickey sergeants misogynist if i were there i'd smack you whoa jones opened his eyes at franny and thank god that evelyn dewis was not standing in front of him was there anyone around bucky's apartment when his car was stolen if you're looking for something kinky forget it did you see anyone motorcycle around the lot before bucky came out looking for his clothes you don't have to elaborate evelyn motorcycle, are you sure don't challenge me, Jones. I wouldn't think of it. He faced Franny, looking as if she were about to burst out laughing. A motorcycle, Jones, but who knows if it chased Bucky Pooh's car? Bucky Pooh? asked Jones as Franny howled as she gripped the fence rail. Brownie Plimpton, said Franny as she turned back to the field with Woozy's horses beyond the fence, but she continued to laugh. He owns a motorcycle? whispered Jones. Franny wiped her eyes and nodded. Evelyn, thank you, said Jones. Do you have any free tickets? Sure, I'll drop some tickets off at the lumber yard. You married? Asked Evelyn. I have another call coming in. Yeah, right. Jones jammed his thumb on the end button. She wants tickets. For Bucky Pooh? Think I'm going to be ill. Hang in there, Fran. We're heading to Northridge Lane. And how do you propose to find out whatever's underground at that field, Matthias? What I need is to have those Brannigan boys go up to Northridge Lane and have them tear up the field around the old foundation," said Jones. They'd do it. Yeah, and I'd be under arrest. Jones slowly banked onto Northridge Lane, a tiny gravel asphalt road with woods in the distance and an open field to the right. Three ranch homes lined a cul-de-sac near the woods. Jones tried to envision the bulky old apartment building that stood on the lot 25 years ago. Franny inadvertently cranked up the music. Whoops! Jones tilted his head back and laughed. Nice car, huh, Fran? I'll say. Maybe you should keep this instead of getting a new Jeep. You saw the price, you'd reconsider. Jones' cell phone rang. Jonesy, just found out that Lincoln filed a criminal complaint against you. For what? For all that historical bullshit. Yes, he claims you harassed his wife. I asked her a few questions, said Jones. You know that. That's not it, Jonesy. Uzi does the security at the courthouse. Uzi said Lincoln is real nervous about something. You need to call Bentley. Once the claw got got Lincoln got scared. What about Bebe? She's with friends in New York. Your was insane, and they all knew it. Lincoln being scared just proves I'm onto something with Northridge. I'm out here now. Oh, yeah, Hotshot? You bring your shovel? And what if Mobley is down there? asked Jones. If Mobley is Deep Six down there, Lincoln will do what he has to do. Not good, and Herbert Lane will never authorize digging up this place, said Jones. Right. Lincoln is Lane's buddy. Keep your eyes open, Jonesy. I'll talk to you. Franny folded her arms over her chest, back up in the field. Problems, Coach? I'm on to something, Fran, because Lincoln is filing actions against me in court, according to Coco. Are you going to call LG? Jones turned to the field. Eventually, Matthias, Lincoln is ruthless. The conundrum, Franny, as I said before, is to get somebody to dig around the original foundation. They stepped onto the grass. Franny pointed to the area where the building once stood. You need a plot plan or some idea where the foundation was located. They do have machines that work like ultrasound. McGill's Jetta rounded the corner and he quickly pulled onto the road shoulder. The owner of the Enterprise had a piece of paper in his hand, which he held up in the air as he ran toward Jones and Franny. Thais, bringing me the evening edition, Tom, laughed Jones. No, the landowner. Giribaldi, asked jones wrong smart sleuth the dark-eyed mcgill held up the paper archie lincoln archie lincoln asked jones grabbing the document everything in the case seemed to snowball to his feet when did he buy the land 22 years ago Oh, of course you're right coach said franny patting his shoulder i'll let strickland know said mcgill but he says there's no basis even for questioning. He doesn't want to face Lincoln's connections, said Jones. McGill put his hand on Jones's shoulder, but how do you prove it? Wear him down, I guess, said Jones. I don't have to tell you that Archie Lincoln has contacts all over the northeast and beyond, Matthias. They could really do a number on you. You better call LG, said McGill. I say, let Lincoln do his shenanigans, said Jones. If I'm wrong about Mobley being buried up here, there's no reason for Lincoln to do anything, is there? McGill paused before he spoke. You walk in a fine line, Matthias, with a powerful man. Maybe, Tom, but there's another link you're overlooking. Yeah, what's that? Miriam. Things get hairy after a shootout at the Deep Sea Grill. What a dive! Jones is baffled as to why Froggy Finley is in this dungeon pit. As the dust settles after Lark's kidnapping, the shootout, and the fire at Lark's house, Jones senses beyond a side road theory that Mobley did not leave town because there's no record of Mobley anywhere. And if Betty Ann Lovell was murdered on Mobley's property, Somebody probably killed Mobley or he would have shown up somewhere. Jones puts all that together with another side road theory about the Northridge Apartments, burned to the ground within days of the big blowout. What a perfect way to hide or destroy a corpse. Jones is convinced that Mobley is buried below the former site of Northridge Apartments north of town. We'll see if Mobley is underground or perhaps he has a new identity or not so new after 25 years. And then the compass needle points toward Archie Lincoln. This is Fitten saluting all firefighters and heading to the bizarre ending of six feet under, ten four. All of my books are available in paperback, Kindle, and audio at www.fittenbooks.com. And here's a real nifty factoid. You can listen to all my audiobooks without interruption on audible.com. Just type in Robert P. Fitton. Thank you and good night.